Most of us at one time or another try a sport, but only a tiny fraction become so good that we call them elite, the best of the best. Most get there through an incredible work ethic that starts as a child and usually dominates their young lives, often at the expense of their education and social lives. For most, the blood, sweat, and tears results in just a few years at the top of that mountain. What then? Have these elite athletes prepared for life after the glory? This podcast celebrates the lives of these elite athletes through conversation stories and a few laughs along the way. And now your hosts, Lucy Sang and Gary Stern. In this edition of our podcast, we welcome one of the great baseball players from the 1970s and 80s. George Foster was an essential cog in what had became known as the Big Red Machine, the Cincinnati Reds. Now 72 years young, Mr. Foster played in the major leagues from 1969 to 1986, including 11 years with the Reds from 1971 to 1981. With the Reds, Mr. Foster won four National League pennants and two World Series titles. He was a five-time All-Star and one of the most feared home run hitters of his era. Since retirement from baseball in the late 80s, Mr. Foster has been a coach, roving instructor, motivational speaker, and for many years has been involved in a nonprofit organization that supports children of military families and kids who live in inner city neighborhoods. Along with George Foster, we've invited a good friend and George's promotional agent, Mr. Jack DeLance. Jack will offer his valuable perspective on how many elite athletes are able to stay in touch with their fans through the promotional opportunities and events that have provided that connection between the fan and their heroes. We are honored to welcome George Foster and Jack DeLance. George, we're just gonna jump right in. Can you tell us about why baseball? How did you get started? Tell us about your childhood. Well, it all started with uh, idolizing a fellow named Willie Mays. Uh, of course, he's from Alabama, and I'm from Alabama area. And I heard that name a lot. It, it was thinking about Quincy Jones of today or Barry Gordy. What happened is that you started to identify with what you see. You wanted, you wanted to be what that person is. And in Willie Mays, I didn't know for sure what sport he was involved with, but I know people knew his name and he must, and I knew that he did it well. So learning that he's a baseball player, I always wanted to play baseball and I idolized Willie Mays and and it was ironic I got a chance to play alongside Willie Mays with the Giants. So I moved from uh, Alabama to California where I got a chance to play on a regular basis because the weather's so great there. And got a chance to go to Dodger Stadium and watch the Dodgers play. So it started to grow on me watching the watching the, the Dodgers and watching the giant Dodger rivalry. And from a youngster, I would go and play every day. And, and finally, at the age of twelve, I, I joined an official little league. Up to that time, I didn't know I didn't know the uh, rules as far as you had to join a, join the organization to play. But I always loved the game, and it came from idolizing Willie Mays. Well, George, let me jump in here. First of all, we'll also welcome Jack DeLance, your promotions agent. We're going to talk about not only your great work in the community, uh, but also about that connection with the fans that uh, an agent like George is so vital in helping uh, to maintain long after the playing days are over. But I want to uh, jump right into uh, Willie Mays. Today is his birthday. Today is his 90th birthday as we record this episode today. Tell us a little about what it was like 
because uh, we don't usually talk about stuff between the lines, but here's an exception. People say Willie Mays was the greatest ball player of all time. What was he like as a person to play with, to meet your hero after all the years of idolizing him? What was that like in those couple years with the Giants? Well, when I first had met Willie Mays, my scout, George Genovese, had taken me to Dodger Stadium to meet meet all the uh, Giant players. And at the time, I was out of words and know what to say. But uh, Willie Mays, I, I lo always loved, he, he invited me over to his house because through Bobby Bonds, I got the chance to meet Willie Mays. And he's as great a person as he was a, was a ball player. And getting a chance to play for the Giants, I really learned a lot about not only life, but baseball. Uh, this, this is a special thing that he had done when I was traded from the Giants to the Reds. I didn't know he had called Pete Rose to say, take care of this kid until later on. So that's the concern and the caring that Willie Mays had, not only for me, for other players. And from then on, you know, he's not only been my favorite player, but my favorite person. And I always look at Willie Mays being the greatest. Uh, he could do it all. And I don't believe that he got as much uh, notoriety as some of the other players had. But I, I feel that being 90 years old, he, he lived a great life. And I know all the people who are around him have been enriched, enriched by him being being involved. But him calling Pete Rose and making sure that he he took care of me when I went to the went to the Reds, you know, that was heartwarming. I just have to throw it out there. My partner's name, his middle name is Willie, named after Willie Mays because his father's favorite player was Willie Mays. So what a small world! Uh, do you have a favorite memory, George, with Willie? Uh, the favorite memory, I guess, is what it's more of a in spring training, you know, you get meal money and Bobby Bonds and I always go and visit uh, Willie Mays' room because he's knowing that he's going to have his uh, room service. So we were like uh, poison control. So we would go and taste his food and, you know, eat his food and say, OK, everything's <laughs> fine. You can order again. But Willie was always there uh, giving me guidance. I, the, the one that really stood out is fielding it's like if a fly ball is hit and it's in the sun how do you get the see get in a position so that you can catch the ball and he had seen me one day getting hit in the chest and get hit in the head because I'm trying to wait longer long enough to sort of ball would come out of the sun so he finally taught me how to do that but that that didn't you know it sounds simple but it, that increased my confidence in playing in the outfield because Getting the ball out of the sun makes makes a big difference. George, before we go to break, there, there's a question that we ask, especially baseball players. As I mentioned before we started, of the millions and millions of kids that take a glove and a bat in their hand and attempt to play ball, in the entire history of the game, there's only been about 20,000 who ever made it to the major leagues. It means that there's something about the game where you become better than everybody else around you. As a kid, how do you transition to a level of baseball where you're going to see 80-mile-an-hour, 90-mile-an-hour fastballs that none of us who play as adults could even dream about getting near? What, what happens that makes you elite in the world of baseball? Well, it's the, the challenge in wanting to get better and the challenge of proving to yourself that you can do it because I was uh, smaller than kids my age, so I was always out there trying to prove that I could do something better and, and prove to them that I could do it. 
But I think it's the not only the challenge, but the determination and the willing to work at it. And a lot of a lot of guys don't really want to work at it. They feel that well, it's it's going to be easy to go out there and hit a baseball. But you facing a Nolan Ryan or J.R. Richard, it's not easy. But you make it easier having that confidence and trusting that you you have the skills to do it. Our fans, of course, know of the great success you had with Cincinnati. When we come back, we're going to talk about the the part of the game that is less obvious to people, which is that transition, that sense of what am I going to do with the rest of my life when we come back on After the Glory. Raise your game to a higher degree. Educating industry professionals since 1991, the University of San Francisco has established itself as one of the leading sport management master's programs in the world. Our locations in San Francisco and Orange County give students access to two of the largest sport markets. Earn a master's degree in 23 months from industry-leading faculty and join a community of over 2,500 alumni and students. Learn more and apply today at usfca.edu forward slash SM. Go Dons! Role models, they can make all the difference. In our world today, they have never been more important. One of the nation's most successful mentoring organizations is Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of Los Angeles. Their mission is to assist youth in achieving their full potential through innovative and impactful programs. And no nonprofit agency does it better. Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of LA serves Jewish children, boys and girls in our local community with a mentoring program that's been going strong since 1915. That's only the beginning. This nationally known agency owns and operates Camp Bob Waldorf. Its summer camping and weekend retreat programs enrich the lives of youth throughout greater Los Angeles. Then there's a college support program, and last but not least, work that helps kids all over the world through the Teen Talk app. Want to learn more? Go to jbbsla.org. Donate. Get involved. There's no better way to make a difference. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with my host and partner, Lucy Singh, with our special guest, George Foster, and his agent, Jack DeLance. George, um, 18 years in the major leagues, 1969 to 1986. Of course, those incredible years with the Big Red Machine um, and, and the, the four pennants in the two World Series. It was quite a career. Um, every athlete dreams of having that long a career, many only three or four years and then you have the rest of your life to look forward to. At some point during your career, did you begin thinking about what is it I'm going to do with the rest of my life? I had, uh, but I knew when I was playing, I started working with kids uh, as far as baseball, helping them to reach their dreams. And so I knew my transition was getting involved with working with the youth. And I've gotten getting a chance to do that if it's doing camps or doing clinics, but helping them to reach their dream, give them the knowledge to improve their skills and getting a chance to do it now, it, it's therapeutic for me because I'm able to impart knowledge about the game and, and not everybody's gonna pick it up. At least I'm giving them that opportunity. And I knew growing up, being prepared for that opportunity that made a big difference with me in 1975, talking to Willie Mays, talking to Joe Morgan, getting information from them. So those intangibles really make a big difference. So getting them prepared, getting exposure to scouts uh, or college coaches and getting them the knowledge on what they need to do to get to that next level. 
And what was your uh, uh, the, the the sort of the journey that you've had over these years? You had many organizations. I know you at one point uh, did an online uh, uh, radio show called the George Foster Diamond Report. Uh, you've done, of course, some hitting instructing and roving instructing with the Reds, but uh, working with high school and college kids. Um, tell us when you really became involved in working with inner city kids in the uh, greater Cincinnati area and how that, how that has impacted you working with those kids. Well, working with the, the Reds or working with on the college level, or diff I was gathering information and seeing what I felt was needed, where I was more so needed. And I felt on the high school level, I was more needed. And the college is more controlled that controlled by the coaches and that you either do what they, he says or you, you're not going to play. So I felt the high school level on down was the level I needed to get involved. And so doing the camps and clinics, I get a chance to be exposed to other well, kids and being able to bring them into my my programs to work, work with them to get better in the game and really asking them, do they want to get to that next level? What are their their goals? What are their dreams? And that was the same thing when I was drafted by the, the, the Giants. I was playing a summer league game, and one of the scouts asked me, did I have desires to play pro ball? And I, like, you know, I was real calm about it, but I was excited inside that, you know, I'm getting a chance to play in the Giant organization, and that's when I met my scout, George Genovese, and and just with George Genovese, he's he's unique. Not many scouts would pick you up every day, take you to the park, work you work on your hitting, your throwing, all the aspects of the game. So I give him a lot of credit in helping in my development. So those things that I learned, I want to be able to give back, so to speak, to these kids. And I say it's fun for me going out there and working at it. George, as you share this with us, you know it's just so impressive. Where does your passion for being a mentor role model come from you know we talked about Willie Mays being a role model for you is there anyone else you know wh where does this kind of intuition come from for you uh, start with my mom my brother uh, my family because they were always there helping others to help themselves and my mom would say that you know being successful in life is not only doing well yourself but helping somebody else get to that next level and that's the formula to be in success. Let me ask you this about the, uh, the work you do, and it is work directly. I, I saw a great quote that uh, a, a reporter in Ohio said, you know, maybe you'll get involved and you'll lend your name to an organization. And you said, you know what? I'm not gonna just lend my name. I'm gonna be there with you. Tell us about that sense that you've gotta be hands-on. Well, a lot of players or people want to just lend their name, but I want to be a part of it. And, and the, the people who are there, they I want them to get a chance to know me, and I want to get a chance to know them and letting them know that we really care about them. And they talk about giving these kids a second chance, but really is giving them a first chance. And it was fun interacting with these kids, go watch them play softball games or whatever they're doing, and now they really felt special and they're getting that, a lot of them wanted that attention. They weren't getting that attention when they were younger. And I got a chance to show them that I really cared. Jack, as, uh, as a promotions agent for George, we're gonna talk a little more in our next segment about, uh, about the work you do, but just tell us a little about, before we head to break, tell us a little about George Foster. 
of baseball royalty. I mean, it's an honor and privilege to represent him. You know, growing up as a young man, watching him come into town, being from Los Angeles, he was always a threat. You know, he was always the one that, you know, took care of business. And, you know, just watching him play, whether he was in the outfield, whether he was hitting, uh, his true passion and love for the game was something that's inspiring no matter what team you were rooting for. Um, he, he was just a sight to behold. George, are you still in touch with some of the uh, players from the Big Red Machine days? Well, my roommate, Ken Griffey Sr., we talk a lot. Uh, and we were roommates for at least 10 years, and that, that was very special. And I give him, once again, credit for helping me to start to enjoy baseball because when I was sent down from the Reds to the AAA in 70, 73, uh, Ken Griffey Sr. was my, my roommate, but he really helped me to enjoy the game. So we communicated a lot, but after last year, though, it was, it was really, uh, I guess, a wake-up call because so many players that I played against or with had passed away. So I want to make sure I talk to Griffey or Dreesen or Tony Perez or players that I know on a regular basis and, and see how they're doing, make sure that they're safe. Well, you know, another funny connection, I mentioned my, that my partner's middle name is Willie and his favorite player is Ken Griffey Jr. So <laughs> yeah, whatever happened to uh, Ken Griffey Sr. Did he ever pass his game along to anybody else that you know of? No, he, <laughs> no. He had a protege and, and his son, but his son didn't make it. You know, he was underachiever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, first ballot Hall of Famer coming up, I guess. Huh? When we come back on After the Glory, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the, the work that uh, George has been doing in the community, especially during this last year of particular upheaval in our society. On After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Sang. We'll be back. Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with Lucy Singh and our special guest, Jack DeLance, and his client and friend, George Foster. George, this has been a very, very tough year this past year. Uh, racial inequities have come to the forefront like never before. Uh, perhaps an inflection point, of course, was the George Floyd uh, tragedy in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, athletes are often said to be people who should, uh, in the words of somebody from Fox uh, Radio, uh, just shut up and dribble, they said to uh, LeBron James, one of the most insulting things anybody can imagine. Tell us about how you responded to the George Floyd incident as an athlete with the ability to reach people. Well, the thing is, using some expressions such as, if you see something, say something. Uh, if you stand for nothing, you fall for anything. But, you know, you talk about it just, yeah, it's just come to the forefront this year, but it's been happening over and over and over again. It's gotten more attention uh, this past year. But I was appalled that, you know, you talk about Black Lives Matter and people say, well, not only Black Lives Matter, but we're talking about the fact that why are, uh, say policemen's be attacking the 
black individuals and getting away with it. There should be some type of consequences that are involved. And I just felt that the, the way they handle situations, they could have done it better and, and it's not uh, end up in, in a fatality. And just getting more people involved, I know a lot of fear, a lot of intimidation involved. And But you were looking at the police force as being someone to serve and protect. But now is that you, if you get in trouble, you need help, those are the last people that you want to call because they seem to be the ones that are going to create more problems and not saying all of them are the same way, but with the George Floyd, now you, you take a, a, a son or dad or a, away from the family or husband from their family and, and nothing is really done about it. The, the guy gets suspended, but then no one knows that he gets suspended or he, he gets fired, but he's still getting a pension or getting paid for it. So the thing is, is that there's no consequences that are that are going to be involved that's going to be damaging to the person who, who who caused the situation. And I just felt that it's more important it's important to give more focus to the Black Lives Matters and the fact that you you're blatantly going out there if it's a kid or if it's a female, uh, or if it's a dad, whoever. You know, give them, give them, the, let them be innocent until proven guilty. But it's it's just in reverse right now. And and as a former athlete, um, who are some of the athletes you joined and and together used your platform and the voice that you have in your community? Who are some of the other athletes you joined this past year to raise these issues? Well, it started with the the Players Alliance, and and they're the group that I felt they. They really open up everything. They're going to different cities, over 30 cities, and and presenting themselves. Not only talking, but giving kids equipment, giving kids food. So that's something that they they need need to be done on a regular basis. I know Ken Griffey Jr. now has been selected by the Commissioner of Baseball to start working with the diversity. But for me, I I just I want to be able to start doing that myself because the number of baseball, black baseball players in baseball is decreasing every year. So instead of my talking about it, I want to be able to go out there and implement it and look around for kids who who know, who want to play the game of baseball, who have not gotten the opportunity and fine tune them and get more exposure, making sure that they know what they need to do grade wise or uh, bit, being a better athlete, getting their skill level up and get them in a position so when that opportunity come come about, they're prepared. So I have a two-part question, and it's two-part because it applies to both George as a former athlete and Jack as your agent. Why should an up-and-coming young athlete care about using their platform to speak up on social justice or any issues that they're passionate about? Well, people are going to look up to that individual, and you should look at yourself as being a leader. And there are things that you did to get to that level. And I always look at the fact that the, the better I play, the more attention I'm going to get. And being able to say something to the kids or to the public that's gonna help them be a, a better person and letting them know that we're not just, just gonna be silent about it. And I just feel it's important for them to speak up. And like I said earlier, if you, you, uh, if you don't stand for anything, you're gonna fall, fall for anything. And so it's important that you let them know that there's a better way to go out and do certain situations and focus on improving. And there's a saying that never stop improving, but you got to be able to improve, not let things stagnate. 
Absolutely. And, and Jack, what about from your perspective in promotions? Well, you know, when we, we see these athletes and especially, you know, after they've had their playing days, um, you know, they're larger than life. And now we have the platforms of social media where they can go out, they can speak their mind, they could, you know, say what they stand up for. Um, there's so many different platforms that they could use to words of encouragement, you know, do the right thing. Uh, continue to motivate, you know, get the communities involved, uh, trying to have things where everything's in peace and accordance. So I think it's very important. We strongly encourage our clientele that, you know, if they're on social media, to use it for the right thing in the right ways. And that's a variety of different ways to be able to do that. You know, Jack, when we come back, I want to spend some time specifically on the work you do with George and with others in uh, in bringing their, uh, their, their great success to their life many, many years after they last threw a pitch or caught a ball in the outfield. Um, one of the things that I think we acknowledge is that the pension in baseball is not what people think it might be, particularly for the athletes of the 60s and the 70s and even into the 80s. And so the work you do is vital. When we come back, let's uh, close out our uh, podcast with a little discussion about the athlete and their connection to their fans long after they played when we come back on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Sang and our special guest. This is Daryl Wayne here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org. That's S-T-E-R-N. Or you can call him at 818-710-2717. That's 818-710-2717. And we're back on After the Glory with my partner, Lucy Sang. This is Gary Stern. Our special guests are Jack DeLance and his client and friend, George Foster. Jack, you've been doing the work uh, on behalf of athletes for quite a number of years uh, in the area of promotions. Tell us a little more about that, uh, how the pandemic has affected things, and um, and what's coming up in the world of promotions. Well, at JD Legends Promotions, we are a marketing firm, so we look at all aspects of marketing on all different levels, both on a local and national level. So that could be a lot of different things. It could be an endorsement, it could be a special appearance, it could be a motivational speaking. Um, the key thing about this is with athletes and legends, such as a client like George Foster, um, it's about the memory. I think Steve Garvey summed that up in one of his lines when he said, we're in the memory-making business. And that is so true, you know, when you come and you see that. So with the pandemic, obviously that all came to a shutdown. I know certain organizations have their alumni, but you know, in the case of Cincinnati, they have something really great because George is still based in Cincinnati. So when you have somebody like a legend like George Foster there, it's about getting him out there because um, the one thing that I've learned as we've continued to move along with baseball is a lot of the history has been lost. You know, when you look and you say, hey, the 1977 MVP, oh, I didn't know he hit 52 home runs. And I've heard this from fans. I've heard this from even, you know, players. 
So I think it's important that when you can, you know, continue the tradition of the history of whatever team or whatever organization that you're dealing with, that, you know, you have them out there and they're able to work alongside an organization or they're able to go out and even do stuff on their own. So uh, that's what we focus on. I know we have a good relationship with George and, you know, working together almost uh, two and a half, three years now. Uh, we had a lot of things that were planned for 2020, but unfortunately with the pandemic, they've been put on hold and we're looking forward to picking that up here in 2021. I'm just going to put it out there. What are some of the most unique or special promotions opportunities you've had your clients participate in? I think when we go in there and it could be anything from a hospital visit to doing some fundraising, you know, giving back is always, you know, a great thing in the community or whatever organization you're supporting. Um, you know, I've been blessed and fortunate that, you know, again, in specific here with, you know, George that, you know, he's willing and able and you know, he, he's going to do it. You know, he's a man of his word and he wants to get out there and he wants to penetrate the community and even if it's on a national level. So there's no barriers, no walls with, you know, a client like George. So very important, you know, to get that out there and get that done. That's one of the unique things. I mean, we have different things too that, uh, you know, uh, Cameo is one that's, you know, yeah. a lot that can relate, you know, to the player and having something specialized if it's a birthday or special moment, wedding anniversary type of a thing. So that's worked out really well. That's been a really great platform, you know, for the clients to be able to use and, and just, you know, hitting the ground on the payment running, you know, with different things that can be brought up uh, to use their celebrity status. George, when you uh, have the opportunity to, uh, uh, to meet with fans, people who remember your uh, your great years with the Reds. Um, and let's not forget, you had a couple of great years with the Mets as well. And one of the things I think people don't know is that although you were not with the Mets at the end of their 86 uh, World Series win, the Mets gave you a World Series ring and a three-quarter share of the playoff money, which was an incredible gesture. Um, tell us a little about uh, coming in contact with fans um, to this day, and what what do they say to you? Get out of town. No, but the thing that I was really, <laughs> really excited about is I get comments from Mets fans and I enjoyed your play. And I had to ask them again, you, you talk, you're talking about me? <laughs> so, but knowing that I know that the years I had with the Mets, they weren't the years that I really planned on having, but still there were fans there uh, supporting me. When And the, the year I hit 28 home runs and drove in 90 runs, you know, I felt that it was, a, it was comparable to the years I had with the Reds because the, the Mets were just getting started learning how to play the game. So, but playing like playing against the Dodgers, you know, it was always a great rivalry. And I remember in spring training, I was signing there and a fan came up to me and said, you ruined my childhood. And like, oh, it's going to be a fight going on now because, you know, I had taken martial arts, so I felt good. And then the guy said, what did I do? I thought he, I stole his bicycle or something. He said, yo, no, you beat my Dodgers. I said, oh, that, that's no big deal. But the fans, <laughs> are, I know in Cincinnati, they're the 10th man on the field and baseball is the fi it's a fiber here in Cincinnati. And and they love their ball players, and and I just become part of it, part of that family. Well, George, as we wrap up this episode, I think it'd be a great time to also talk about what are you up to nowadays outside of baseball. I mean, you've got a whole life to live, and you live so many years. What are some of the things that you've been involved in? What do you love? What do you know that you don't like? 
<laughs> well, that's the thing. You get a chance to decide on what you want to do and, and, and not want to do. And I've, it makes me feel young being able to go and work with these kids. I have kids 18 and under. So I'm going throwing batting practice and working with their field and, and just seeing them improve and just being there for them. And for me, I go go to the gym three times a week and, and, and strive wow. to stay in great shape and, and working out and I play a lot of tennis. It was funny, I'm playing a, a guy who's like 55 years old and he's always complaining, man, I'm getting old, you know, I can't keep playing this. And I said, well, I'm 17 years older than you are. But each day I'm trying to improve because everything I do, I try to improve, improve my serve or my volleys or ground strokes. So it's that's what it's all about. Whatever you do, try to improve and then help somebody else improve. Well, that's a champion's mindset right there. Thank you. You know, uh, as we bring this episode of After the Glory to a conclusion, uh, we want to thank both George Foster and his promotions agent and friend, Jack Lance. Jack, it was a privilege to have you both. Uh, I can see why George is, must be a person who is and will always be in demand. Uh, he knows how to communicate and he knows how to demonstrate the passion that he has for both the game and for the people who play it and for the people who may play it. So thank you both very much. Have a great, great rest of the year. And uh, until next time on After the Glory, this is Gary Stern and Lucy Sang, and we'll see you next time. Until we meet again. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team. Our producer, Mark Allen, executive producer from Podclips, Mike Anderson, and our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstad. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are. Living large and riding high. Razzling and dazzling across the sky. Back in the day, so young and strong. Work or play, you can do no wrong. But when that ride is through, what you gonna do? Hey, hey, what's your story? What you gonna do after the glory? Step back and take inventory. Checking out new territory. Not every day will be congratulatory. Hopefully you're still
Story, what you gonna do after the floor?